How's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. On this episode, I had a great conversation with Michelle Shelfon. She is a therapist here in Nashville, Tennessee, and she is um, the host of the podcast, The Adult Chair, which is a fantastic podcast about learning all about oneself as far as, uh, I mean, it's learning to self-love, um, figuring out your own psyche. She has this model, which she'll explain in this podcast, which is what the, uh, what these chairs mean. And the adult chair is the goal, basically living in the adult chair at all times. Um, she is having a retreat coming up. It's going to be the weekend of the 6th of May. So it's coming up quickly. And she was very kind enough to offer $20 off of the weekend to you guys, to you listeners. Um, so anyone that's in and around Nashville, Tennessee, or is going to be in the vicinity that weekend of the 6th of May, uh, there's a code to use on her website, which is uh, if you go to michellechelfont.com, which is M I C H E L L E. C-H-A-L-F-A-N-T.com. And as usual, of course, there's links on Hey Human Podcast. So if you forget how to spell it or whatever, just come to the heyhumanpodcast.com and, uh, and there'll be a link uh, to Michelle's, all of her stuff and stuff we talked about on this episode. But anyway, if you use the code SPRINGMC2017, so that's S-P-R-I-N-G-M-C-2017, you get 20 bucks off of the weekend. So that's really cool. Uh, it was a delight to talk to her. It was very interesting. We talked about narcissism and codependence. And again, we talked about her model of the adult chair and what that is for her and her podcast. Um, and just general uh, human psyche stuff, which I, of course, find extraordinarily fascinating. I love talking about that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's really really cool. She's a, she's a cool lady. Um, the usual stuff, iTunes, uh, Podbean, Stitcher, Blueberry, all the different places to get the podcast. Please get the word out. Tell your friends. Um, go to iTunes and rate, review. Tell me what you think of the podcast. It's super helpful. It helps get the word out. iTunes, the more reviews I get and the more, um, you know, just the more stuff around the, I don't know. I don't know what it is, to be honest. It's a metrics thing. I talk about this on pretty much every episode, so you guys are likely sick of it. But it's really helpful to um, to help spread the word. And it's certainly growing, so thank you for everything y'all have done. It's hugely wonderful. Um, y'all are posting to your Instagrams and your Facebooks, and I just, I've written tweeting about it. I really appreciate it. Um, I don't really have uh, much more to say about anything as far as housekeeping. If you want to send me an email, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com, and I would love that. Somebody asked me um, from last week's episode with David Nunn if there was a photograph of him, and I have actually been working on getting uh, all the little posters I make. Every time I do an episode, I make a little poster for social media. And so there's going to be a page on the on the heyhumanpodcast.com website that's going to have every single poster. So you can go back and see people's faces and things, unless they're anonymous. As we all know, there's a couple episodes that have anonymous folk. But um, 
other than that, yeah, the, there's gonna be there's gonna be some pictures, and that's real cool and stuff. So thanks for listening. As always, I really appreciate it, and hope you enjoy. Michelle Chalfant, is that is that French? I know you're gonna say that, like, because everyone says, "Oh, you must be French." Is I'm that like, French? I'm not. I'm actually Italian. My dad oh. was 100 percent Italian, and my yeah. mom was Irish and German. My husband. Okay. Chalfant. Oh, I think that's like Scottish. Well, I, see, I, funny. I just them. assumed it was your your name. No, that's so funny. I, you know what? Now at my age, 20 years into my marriage, I wish I had kept my maiden name. Really? How come? Because I'm a Brindisi. Like. I am a Brindisi. I am Michelle Rose Brindisi. That's your maiden name. Yeah, that's my maiden name. And so. your social security number. No, I'm just kidding. It's true. Yes, yeah, so my social security number is. <laughs> my mother's maiden so. name. Wow. Okay, well, there you yeah. go. It's, uh, because it's me, you know, and, and and so many people say, oh, sh- oh, where are you from? Where's your family from? I'm like, well, it's not even my family. It's my family's from, yeah. you know, my mom's from over at this part, and yeah. my dad's family's all from Italy. And so. That is an interesting uh, thing to take someone else's name when you get yeah. married yeah it's fascinating but, well anyway but um, when we get married we have no idea what we're at least when we're, when we're so young it's like oh of course i want to get married yeah. let me take his name um, i think saying that people don't have any idea what they're about to get into when they get married is an adic- is very much accurate statement <laughs> yes for sure yeah so michelle you have a podcast which is fantastic called mm-hmm. the adult chair yes and we'll talk about that in a minute you just had a book come out the adult chair a guide to loving yourself and we can talk about that as well. Mm-hmm. And before we go too far in, uh, I want to bring up you have a um, you have a class you're going to be teaching. Yes, I, I'll bring it up now and I'll bring it up later. But I okay. want to make sure that it's mentioned a couple times. So because you gave me a password to give you guys listening, the password is Spring MC like like her name MC 2017. So Spring MC 2017. Talk about what the class is going to be. And that that is a discount code that, that gives $20 off the class. $20 off. Yeah. Yeah. Spring MC 2017. And they sign up on your website. On my website. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, yeah. Uh, she spells her last name. I'm speaking for her right now. C-H-A-L-F-A-N-T. So michellechalfont.com is the website. And the class is it's again, it's all about my whole work. And I think of my mission here is about loving ourselves. And um, so the class is about, it's, a, it's the class is called the adult chair and it's a guide to loving yourself. And, and so the whole weekend is about, um, I give people tools and techniques on how to love themselves. And when we do that, of course, we improve our relationships. We're going to learn, we're going to talk about where anxiety and codependency come from, mm-hmm. codependency, narcissism, all of it. And we're going to do a lot of experiential exercises, meditations, breath work. I do all these things and load people up for the weekend. And then when they leave... And it's the whole weekend. Yeah, it's Saturday and Sunday, May 6th and 7th. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about the adult chair for a second. Okay. Uh, Or for an hour. Yes. (laughs) Uh, What is the adult chair? Well, I think I have to... um, just tell like a little bit about my own personal story. That's if great. That's okay. Yeah, I'm so, jumping ahead because I already yeah, know you're the jump, answer, which I'm is good. Um, tell, us, tell us about you. That's really I grew well. Story. I grew up um, really with with a lot of anxiety and depression based on my own family. You know, we all have family stuff, mm-hmm. as you well know. Mm-hmm. Um, we all we all have family stuff, and I grew up with a lot of anxiety and depression. I was using a lot of drugs and alcohol to cover that up as a teenager, and then into my twenties. And then what I realized was. In my early 20s, I was majoring in psychology in college because I love helping people, but that's part of my codependency as well. But um, I loved helping people. So, but I was depressed. 
So I'm learning about all these cool things. So I came home one time from college. I think I was a junior, maybe. I think it was around 21 or something. And I said, you know, I'm crying and I'm sleeping a lot and I'm drinking a lot. I'm going to, and of course I went home to my family and the family said, you know, why would you want to air your dirty laundry to strangers? Which back then, this is the late 80s, early 90s, like nobody, there weren't therapists on every corner. Um, There was no, you know, people really didn't Google things. There wasn't even a Google. There might've been, was there, I don't know if there was, I don't think there was internet then. But anyway, so it was kind of a big deal to go to therapy. And, um, but I said, I really want to go. So I found a psychiatrist, not knowing a thing about it because no one in my family ever went. And I went in and they had me fill fill out like a 200 question page, 200, not pages, 200 questionnaire um, to see if I was depressed. And I filled it out and he says, yes, you're depressed. Here's a sample of Prozac. Here's the prescription. Now go get that filled. And I said, well, I want to talk to somebody. I've got a lot of shit in my childhood that I need to talk about that I couldn't sort out with my family and friends, of course, that are my age, can't figure it out. He says, no, 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 the Prozac's going to be fine. Oh, my God. So I spent... That's um, a bad doctor. Yeah, but I, that's... I, no, I, I mean, hate to 80s, say it. Yeah, but I mean, that happens a lot even now. They're like, do this cooking and come back when mm-hmm. you're happy. <laughs> that's true. Um, so anyway, so I tried the Prozac for three days. I had major... Head, I, I'm very sensitive to any kind of anything, yeah. so I didn't like it. I what stopped does Prozac it. do exactly? It's Is an antidepressant. A, so it's a balancer, like it finds whatever chemistry's off in your brain and yeah. tries to adjust it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's basically... Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't right. even know if it's used all that much. I'm not very much into meds these days yeah. so as far as a therapist as a therapist and a life coach I don't really prescribe yeah, yeah. so sure. but um you're not doing the band-aid you're doing that I don't like band-aids the, the wound Ex- that is my whole goal so I mean, that's a good goal yes personally I agree with that but I um so I didn't do the Prozac but I've always also in addition to wanting to help myself get better I've always been really spiritual which is more about you know I've been drawn to meditation since I was really young and understanding, you know, spirit. Where am I from? Um, connecting with that part of me, that kind of thing. Um, so I kind of merged the two after, again, I'm going to fast forward now. So after all of these years, I was on this journey of figuring out what the heck is wrong with me without taking these medications. Um, another doctor, like a few years later, tried to put me on Zoloft. Again, felt awful like it, I just don't react well to meds so I just I said forget that um but what I realized was after all this reading I'm taking books out of the library and all this kind of thing again there's really we're not on the internet quite yet <laughs> I mean, yeah. a little bit but not not everyone had a laptop for sure so I'm doing a lot of reading I realized I was codependent and didn't love myself like it all boiled down to I don't think I love who I am like I don't love myself and it really I remember when um Way back when, before Dr. Phil had his own show, I was in a hotel room with my husband, um, whenever, and he was on Oprah. Who? Dr. Phil. Oh, was yeah, on yeah, Oprah. sure, sure, sure. So he, no, 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 sorry, okay. sorry. Um, so Dr. Phil was on Oprah, and we were in a hotel, and it was like out in the background, we're changing or whatever, and I remember he said, and I turned when he said, well, you know what's wrong with so-and-so, and they had this woman on stage that he was helping, and he said, you don't love yourself, and I turned around, and I was like, oh, here we go, here's the answer, this is how you're supposed to love who you are, and he goes, you need to learn how to do that, and I realized there aren't a lot of books that say, this is how you love yourself, so I began this like quest, like I was just anything I could read, any lecture, anything at all over all these years, and um, 
that is what, to fast forward even more now, that is what I've discovered over the course of like 30 years. So this model that I created called the adult chair model, I call it, it's a psycho, meaning a psychological, spiritual uh, self-discovery process. So really we're discovering all of our parts. So we are discovering who we are. And when we do that, we then fall in love with ourselves, finally. <laughs> because It seems like a, a Sisyphean task. To, to, to try and get yourself, you know, you're rolling the rock up the hill. Yes. And then the rock just runs back down and you run yeah. after the rock and then you push it back up the hill. Yes. I mean, self-love, I know that people, you know, kind of snicker at the thought of that self-love of, you know. What they do. Mean? Yeah. But I think it is truly the most important thing there could be. Because without self-love, there is little self-awareness and understanding right. and compassion, having compassion for oneself. But... More than anything, it's and, and if you don't have that, how the heck are you supposed to deal with other people? Exactly. And, and everyone says, well, you have to love yourself first before you can fall in love with someone else. Again, it's like, how do we do that again? <laughs> what do you think self, what does self-love mean to you? So, well, the way that I explain it in the adult chair model, which is, I, I love it because it's so basic. Like it really breaks us down as human beings. So think about a timeline and you start at age zero. So the first, I, what I've done is, is, the adult chair model is broken into three different, I guess, chairs, we're going to call them. Yeah. So we have the, the child chair, and that's the phase of our development that's zero to six. So in the age of zero to six, we the, the key learning is we learn all about true feelings or emotions and true needs. So a true need would be something like, I need a hug. Um, I need I need to hear that, that I'm lovable. Um, a true feeling would be, you know, I'm lonely, I'm sad, I'm happy, I'm joyful, all of those things. We also learn in that chair spontaneity, passion, creativity, like you, mm-hmm. very creative. Um, we learn about trust versus mistrust. So all of these things are happening in zero to six. The other thing that happens is we're recording every single thing that we experience. It gets recorded in the subconscious mind and then downloaded in the unconscious mind. So we learn how to right. talk, how to think, how to... But things. everything. So, for example, if you're in your crib and your mom doesn't come to you the moment you're crying, right? And there's a little bit of a delay because way back when, I know when I was young, I don't know, you're younger than me, but when I was young, we had the phones attached to the walls. There were no cell phones. So sometimes, you know, if my mom's in the kitchen on the phone with a long cord, maybe she didn't hear me. And there was a lag time between when I started crying and she came. But the brain is like, where, where is she? Where is she? Where is she? So then we put beliefs in our brain like, maybe I'm not lovable. Even maybe, as an infant? Yes. Oh, wow. Maybe I'm not wanted. It's like we start forming understandings of the world when we're this age. So what happens, from, again, from zero to six is that we create what's, what's like a roadmap for then how do we live the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. So even the age that we are today, we're basing how we show up in the world based on zero to six years old. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So that's zero to six. That, that is when we're living in the child chair. And then around six, this child part of us steps deep inside and it's called the inner child. You've heard of the inner child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from about six to seven to 25, we're in this adolescent phase, I call um, which is the ego comes into play. We learn more about the left side of the brain. So we only, in this adolescent chair, we live from the seat of the survivor, which is the ego. Mm-hmm. So we only lived in fact, or excuse me, we only live in, in past and future. We can't live in the moment. We mm-hmm. got to be on guard because the ego's job is to keep us alive. 
Does this make sense? Absolutely. Um, so I cannot live in the moment. I have to always be looking ahead and looking behind and making up stories and assumptions about what's coming because I'm trying to keep myself alive. So in this chair, we learn all about that. We learn to put masks over who we really are because we mm-hmm. want to be accepted. Um, we will turn into perfectionists, controllers, narcissists, codependents, um, addiction sits here. Um, so all of these aspects of who we are get formed in this chair during this timeline of about 6 to 25. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then if we had parents that modeled for us healthy behavior and modeled for us how do you process emotions and all of this kind of thing, then we're around 25 to 30. Is there someone out there that had parents that did that? No, I, I'm looking. <laughs> If you're out there, please call. So I'd love right. to talk to you. I'm looking. And healthy is like, you know, it's all about, you know, some people were healthier than not. You know, some yeah. people, you know, some people had major abuse and some people just didn't hear I love you. It's a sliding scale. So um, are there, well, and before you go on, uh, that's an interesting point. And some people just didn't hear I love you. So I, this is true within, like, for example, my family, I'm sort of, let me get to this point here, but I'm formulating as I talk, so it's coming out lumpy, but um, my two brothers, older brothers, they are vastly different than I, mm-hmm. yet we were raised by the same people. Right. Now, it, would it be that across the board you could say, um, we all need to be said, I love you at the same amount or whatever, or are there, you know, some people, they don't need it as much, and for whatever reason, a four-year-old here is cool with just sort of like, ah, I don't need to hear it that much. And then a four-year-old over here needs to hear it every 10 minutes. I mean, does that happen just naturally? Or they all really need it and it's just... I mean, no two beings are exactly the same, for sure. sure. Nobody has the exact same brain. Nobody has the exact same needs. Um, but it seems to me that there's some sort of, like, average, mm. you know, if, mm-hmm. you know... On average, you know, a four-year-old might need... I don't know. I'm just making this up. Yeah, but, like, sure. let's say... 10 to, you know, 30 hugs a day, let's just say, on average. So uh, most kids would fit in that average. Mm-hmm. But a kid that needs more and more and more and more, he's not getting or she's not getting what she needs. So that's kind of out of norm. Mm-hmm. And then the kid that maybe doesn't need or want as much or crave as much, again, there's something else so going on. So what creates there. those two on the outskirts of the, oh, of the norm? That's, the, that's where I'm fascinated. Yeah. Like a, a four-year-old who needs this much more attention. Why is that than a than well, maybe even a, a, this, a kid from the same family who at four right. didn't need that? I just find that so... It, makes, you, it makes me think about soul stuff. And oh, I know. And we've I, come in with different requirements. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. I think we each have a soul. Yeah. And, and that soul is, is, again, we're bringing in, if you believe in past lives, we like do. all the stuff from before yeah. with us, we carry it like a suitcase yeah. or lot, lots of suitcases in. Yeah. So... It could be that. Yeah, I have an ocean freight, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Mine's parked next to yours, I think. <laughs> That's right. Oh, mm. man. <laughs> but it really depends on... Um, it really depends. I mean, I have two boys, same husband. They don't look anything alike. They don't act alike. And I showed up in the same way as a parent for them. And, yeah, like one of them, you know, who was zero to 12 months old, I couldn't put him down ever. Like I'd put him down and he'd start to cry. I'd have to pick him up. Mm. And I, everyone would say, you know, you're going to create a high maintenance kid. He's not high maintenance. So I think you have to be intuitive as a parent and Mm. really tune into what does this kid need? But when it feels off to the parent, then there's something else going on. So, yeah. 
I don't know, but yeah, it's I, fascinating. I agree with it's you. I so think the soul comes in and very. They're all so unique. Yeah. Okay, so we yeah. get to twenty-five. Anyway, and yeah. Then. So then around the age of twenty-five, we um, if we had parents that modeled for us healthy behavior, healthy um, boundaries, healthy love exchanges, like you're saying, like healthy, you know, hugs and all that. Anyway, then we step into what I call the adult chair, which is the healthiest version of ourselves, and this is the part of us that only lives in the moment. Mm that lives with fact and truth, that has compassion for this, for ourselves and for others, mm-hmm. um, that is able to connect into our feelings. Because, you know, when we're in that ego or the adolescent chair, we can't connect into our feelings and our emotions. But the adult can. So, um, so I would argue that most people are stuck in that middle chair then. You don't have to argue with me. Oh, okay. I agree with you. <laughs> we get stuck because most of us don't know this adult we don't know how to live in our adult chair. Yeah. So this model, when I sit with clients and I teach them, okay, let's look at who's in your child. Let's look at who's in that adolescent chair. Because that's where everything's happening, right? That's where we're showing up as, again, codependents, narcissists, all of these. I'm, I'm too too much of this and not enough of that. That's the messaging we got from childhood. Um, when you understand why the part of you is being OCD, let's say, or why that part of you is being controlling or narcissistic, then... You have a different understanding. Mm-hmm. They're typically trying to protect you. All these different parts in that chair. They're trying to protect you. They're trying to keep you safe. Um, all of a sudden, and then when typically I'll ask, so how old is the part of you that's showing up and being controlling or that needs to keep your house you know, so clean? And when they close their eyes and they go internal and I say, find that part of you and speak for that part, they'll say, wow, it's seven. Or wow, it's like 10. How can we hate that part then? Mm. Does that make sense? So you're having, so people are able to kind of close their eyes and, and, and say, well, the reason why I want all my ducks in a row is because when I was eight, my brother took all my Barbies and ripped off their heads and threw them around the room yeah. and, and, and traumatized. I mean, I'm being, yeah, no, 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 I'm yeah, just yeah. making up a scenario. And so that 10 year old moment stuck Yeah, for some reason. See, a lot of people would hear that and think that's insane. What's parts insane? That, that some, you know thing scenario that happened at a particular age of your childhood would stay with you yeah and and i of course don't think it's insane i absolutely very much believe that every that we are an onion and that every experience we have ever had good Mm -hmm. or bad completely shapes who we are and a lot Mm -hmm. of unfortunately a lot of times we don't even remember some of the things right and yet they're still there well let me i'm a little supercomputers but here it is exactly it's not that we have okay so the conscious mind is like 10%. Like, if you think about the iceberg, have you seen that? Have you ever seen that iceberg analogy? The lettuce or? Iceberg analogy. Is, you mean iceberg lettuce? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, what lettuce? Well, because lettuce is like an onion. It's no, like, no, 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 like no, 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 no. iceberg lettuce. Okay, so think about the ocean. <laughs> you mean like, like Titanic. What? <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. Ocean. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah. A real iceberg, like it. in, you know, Iceland, a glacial, okay. a yeah. glacier. Yeah. Okay. So the iceberg comes out a teeny 10% of the water, but underneath there's this massive, right? That's our consciousness. Mm. So consciously, you can't remember what happened when your brother hit you when you were six years old. Let's just pretend because it's up here. It's like we have access to so little of that, mm. but unconscious is down here and it's, it's a whole massive. rest of the salad. Yes. It's the rest of the iceberg lettuce salad. <laughs> Get your tomatoes. You get your yes, mushrooms. exactly. Yeah, so it's all underneath. Yeah, so I very much believe that for sure. So I believe that when we slow down, because again, when we live in the adolescent chair, which most people live from in this egoic part of who we are, um, 
it's very fast moving. We're go, 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 go. We don't slow down. When we start to slow down, all of our memories start coming up, um, feelings start coming up, emotions start coming up. And in session, when I have sessions with people, and when I do this with myself, I'll say, okay, what is it I need to know? What is it I need to remember? What, what does this part of me need? Boom, it's there when we slow down. Mm-hmm. So part of living in our adult chair is slowing down and connecting with all of these other parts. So when I sit from my adult chair, I can turn to my adolescent chair and go, Who's, who wants to clean the house like this? Or who wants to do this? Like, I want to talk to that part of me and I want to get to know it. And what happens is when we get to know these parts of ourselves that are blaming, not taking responsibility, whatever they're doing, they get smaller. You know, it's the ruminating thoughts that we have in our mind. What I say to my clients is, and what I do with myself is I'll say, I'm just going to pop the part out that is having all of the ruminating thoughts. So when your brain's going, there's one part of you that's trying to get, it's it's a part of you just trying to get your attention. Mm. Does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. it wants to feel better. It just doesn't know it wants to feel better. It's, tra- it's scared. Think yeah. about a scared little kid that thinks you're going to get, you know, run over by a bus. It's going to go, Susan, get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. You know, that's what a ruminating thought is. It's like nudging you going, oh my God, oh my God, I got to talk. You, you need to do this right away, right away. And it's like, hold on, who's talking right now? And I imagine that part of me standing in front of me. It's always a young kid, whether it be zero to six or it's maybe 12 or 14 and they're, God, they're scared to death and they're just trying to help me. And when I say to them from my adult chair, like, I've got this, like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm in control, but I want to hear from you. Tell me everything. And I let that part speak and have a voice. It shrinks hmm. right in front of my eyes, gone, like mm-hmm. the Wicked Witch from The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it turns yeah. into like smoke. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. And I do this with clients all the time and they go, wow, that voice is gone. Where did it go? I'm like, you just paid attention. We're not good at paying attention to ourselves. So the whole idea of self-love is to learn about who's talking to us, who's inside of us that's talking. They're all just trying to get our attention. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because I know in some therapies, like, oh, that's your mother's voice you're hearing, or that's your father's voice you're hearing. Mm-hmm. And in that model that you're speaking of, it's, yeah, the mother or father may have said something horrible, but it's the way the child responds. And that's the part you're carrying. Yes. It's the response. You're, again, remember, the little kid that interprets what's happening with mom and dad is yeah. quite different than as, you know, a physical, you know, an adult that's 45 years old. Looking back. Yeah. And that is what we do is we look back and go, why did I, that was so dumb. Why was I so mad about that? But this little kid's brain isn't developed. We're not, we don't have a, an adult brain until we're 25. So yeah, so we have to make sense of again, why is mommy not coming to the crib? Why is mom, why are mom and dad screaming at each other and yelling and fighting? It's probably because of me. Mm-hmm. See, we take all that stuff on mm-hmm. and we try to make sense of it and then we adjust who we are and step away from our true self and that's when we start becoming someone else. Yeah. And we put these masks on to cover up our true self if it's not getting validated. Yeah. So, well I would say this is the primary reason why most relationships are terrible. Yes. It's because we're never, A, vulnerable enough to be real in a relationship. And, and I'm using the royal we. I'm not in a relationship right now, but most of my friends who are, they're all disasters. Mm-hmm. You know? And they don't really talk to each other. They just blame or they get mad or they storm off because they don't know how to... to I, I assume it means it's because they don't know why they're being triggered and they don't know how to talk about it. But, right. I mean, vulnerability has... It, it's got to be the hardest thing in the world to get to. And that comes from our child chair. Yeah. So zero to six is when we learn all about vulnerability and, and intimacy. 
So once that ego comes online for all of us in the ad- and we were sitting in that adolescent chair, it does not know what to do with feelings and emotions or vulnerability or intimacy. It like pushes it out of the way. From the child chair. Yeah. So the, our little child chair is gone. It's like that inner child part is almost shut off when we're in that part of us. The ego part. Yeah. We're living in the adolescence. So, um, huh? What a mess. It is. It's really a mess. So then we go out you know, in our 20s or 30s or 40s or whatever. And if we don't know really how to live in this adult chair, we pick these partners that are here to like fulfill our childhood wounding. Like we pick the wrong one basically because mm-hmm. we don't know who we are all that well. Yeah. And then we wind up in divorce and we pick the same damn one with a different face. Right? Yeah, I think, I mean, I just said this the other day to someone that I think that when we're dating, until we've dealt with a lot of our stuff, we just keep dating whichever parent screwed us up more. It's so true. <laughs> we keep dating that parent. So true. Yep. Trying to fix that thing without yeah. even being conscious conscious of it. And it's interesting, because I, I, I work with couples too, and um, as couples, we don't know how to communicate effectively. And mm-hmm. I say this all the time, you must communicate honestly with each other. Mm-hmm. You have to do that in order to make that relationship work. And if we don't have vulnerability, we don't know how to do that. So, and we think the other person, we think everyone is a psychic. So we think, okay, well, if um, I'm not going to say anything and I'm just going to hope that he'll, you know, remember to pick up the dry cleaner, whatever, you know, I'm hoping he'll remember to do this and he should know better. I'm like, no, he shouldn't. You got to tell him what you need and what you want and vice versa. And they go, well, he should know that after 20 years. I'm like, hell no, no way, no way, no way. Because he's carrying around his own bag. Exactly. Exactly. So... So see now, the fact that this species has even continued on is a miracle. It really is. <laughs> Especially because part of our brain is, um, there's a part of our brain that does not update. And it's uh, over 150,000. I hear all these different stats on it. But it's at least 150,000 years old. That's the part of us that says... The reptilian says, part of our brain? Yeah, so that's the part of us that lives in this adolescent chair that says... I got to keep you alive and I've got to keep you in this tribe. And if I don't keep you in the tribe, we're in trouble. So you need to change the way you look, change the way you dress, make sure you only date people like that. You know, it's like, it's trying to feed you information that's so outdated and it's anything but authentic. It's trying to keep you safe and alive. Because if you look different than the norm, you might get kicked out of the tribe. And if you get kicked, if you get kicked out of the tribe, you're you know, going to get eaten by a, what was 150,000 years ago? I mean, anything. like a woolly mammoth. I don't know. <laughs> or a saber toothed tiger yeah, or something. Tiger, or, yeah, or you'll just die living out in the cold if well, you're kicked out of the tribe. if they ostracize you, for sure they'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, and I, I really believe in that as well, that our brain has these memories that I don't even know what to call them. I guess not memories because we personally aren't experiencing them, but our DNA is coded with our every ancestor that has come before us and all their experiences. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they even talk about this now in science. It's it's a real thing. If the mother is extraordinarily stressed out with the baby in the womb, the baby's going to get yeah. extra levels of cortisol. It's going to feel that stress. It's going yeah. to have more anxiety. You know, if that's a real thing in the womb, then why would not be, you know, the, the lineage of everything that keeps getting passed on father to son, mother totally. to daughter? I mean, it makes total sense to me. Yeah. But how do we get to the point where... I just I feel like most people don't have any either they they don't have self awareness or they're just scared to death of of having self awareness. They as soon as they start to get a little self awareness, they panic 
and shut down. Mm-hmm. And then the game is over, you know. Yeah. I, we don't... How do we get to... I mean, how does somebody like you, when they come in and they, they seek you out as a therapist and they sit down... And they're like, well, my life is falling apart, but I don't know why it's everyone else's fault. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you draw that out? I show them these chairs. Mm-hmm. And what I find is that it's it's like three little boxes. You know, you got the child chair. This is what happens then. you got the adolescent chair. This is what happens in that phase. And here's the adult chair. I, most of the time when I introduce this to people, they start crying. And they go, oh, my God, my whole life makes sense now. Mm. So showing them the chairs because it's not just talking about it there's a I have three physical chairs in the office and I do a lot with experiential work um, with them but it's helping Explain what that is experiential work is using um, instead of me sitting talking across from you I'm getting up uh, using a chair is an experience so I'll have people say go find you know I'll, I help them find their adult self and we sit in that chair so it's an experience it's like experiencing therapy versus just sitting around and talking. Okay. I'll use like, um, let's just say that I'm doing work with somebody's mother and they were alcoholics, right? I have an empty wine bottle in my office. I have, you know, uh, a scarf and oh, my mother used to uh, like a pink scarf. My mother wore pink. So I'll put a pink scarf in a chair with a wine bottle. Interesting. So it's very experiential. It just, it anchors it more in, I think yeah. for the, um, for the clients. So it's okay. Anyway. Um, but when I give people the idea that this is what might have, if they if they come in with a problem, what was the issue you said? They can't. You just gave me a great example. Uh, well, whatever the issue is, like I, I these chairs because these three little boxes they or these can't three even chairs. Get to this place, I guess. Yeah, when I show them, so this is the adult. This is what it could look like. But you're stuck over here in this adolescent dealing with whatever it is, being an alcoholic, living as a codependent, being a narcissist, whatever it is. They go, oh my God, I so get it now. I need to be over here. Yes, because when we're over here in this adult chair, then I start tuning into my feelings. I, I t- you know, It's all about taking baby steps, but just teaching someone how to feel their emotions is gigantic. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't know how to do that. And that cracks us open. You want to talk about awareness? That does it. Because it connects people back into their bodies. Mm-hmm. And we're so disconnected from ourselves. We've got these stupid cell phones, right? It's like mm. email, fa- you know, Facebook, Instagram, all of this crap we carry around with us to keep us disconnected from ourselves. Absolutely. So um, well, you see it at restaurants all the time, people on dates. Yes. And they're looking at their phones. Yep. And not each other, which always breaks my heart just a little and bit. And little kids that are like out with parents to dinner and they watch a movie the whole time instead of engaging with the family. Yeah, that breaks my heart too. Mm-hmm. I see that a lot. So um, that is what raises awareness that I find. That's one way. Um, Meditation. You know, I teach people how to meditate and they get in touch with themselves again. Awareness is not going to come from outside of us. It's going to come from within. So we have to slow down to step inside. And again, that's what we do in the adult chair. Right. So how did this change for you? Because if you came through your young life, first of all, I always find it interesting that people who they're like, oh, my life was a mess. And I thought, oh, try psychology i think it's because there's that little voice in me that's saying we need some help here and if you can help other people yeah. somehow it, it mirrors back on yourself and, yeah but so as you're developing the idea of the adult chair how did that change how you move through the world at some point did you go wait a minute this is something that i could use or was it just intuitive and you were just doing it anyway no i was actually i think i said to, i think i said to you um 
that I have been studying for, I think, since I was a teenager, like honestly, like a teenager, anything I could get my hands on that was spiritual or self-help kind of stuff. Like I was, I remember reading one of Tony Robbins books when I was 20, like back 1990, (laughs) before again, there was anything else. But so I've always been drawn to this kind of thing. So what I found is I learned all this stuff. And then of course, getting a counseling degree and a master's and then a license in counseling became a life coach, but kept doing all kinds of, I, I was looking, I mean, I'm truly, truly a seeker um, saying, oh, maybe this technique is the one. So I'd go get certified in something else and then something else, whether it be sort of spiritual or new agey or very, tra- tra- very traditional counseling. Mm-hmm. I've been certified in so much. It's ridiculous. And then we moved here 10 years ago. And I found the estuary where Susan Crumpton is. So she became my new mentor. A bunch of people said, oh, you'll love her. She's kind of, you know, spiritual plus counseling. I said, okay. So I went to her and um, just talking again about childhood stuff. And she says, you need to enroll in my group. So and she's a therapist. She's Yeah, she's okay. a therapist uh-huh. here in Nashville. And um, so I enrolled in her group and I didn't want to. I'm like, I already teach. Like, I already do all this stuff. She's like, yeah, 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 you need to go. So I came and that was where I heard the term adult chair. So she had these chairs and she's a lot like me, kind of spiritual, also very counts into counseling. And I'm like, oh, so what I would say is I, what, well, what I ended up doing was joining, I was with her for four years in this very intensive personal growth group with like 10 other people. And she used the term, the adult chair, and it like struck me like a lightning bolt. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> She's like, we got the child, the adolescent, and doing um, any sort of, you know, again, experiential therapy, like with chairs, and you do, you've heard of gestalt therapy or gestalt therapy. I've been doing inner child work, um, done a lot of ego work, but I liked how she had it, the child, the adolescent, and the adult. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this really strikes me. I like this. So what I say is that she took all my learnings that were kind of chin up or from the mind and integrated them into my body. And that's where I started having change. And again, the change happened for me when I could put them in these little boxes. And I understood why was I so codependent and how, what do I do about it? Were you married already? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is your husband uh, codependent as well or is he? Yeah, he definitely he definitely has signs of that for yeah. sure, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, again, I had worked on that in therapy, but putting it in, in the, through these chairs, I was like, wait a minute, there's really something here. So I took her framework of these chairs and combined it with all of my teaching for 30 years and developed what I would call a model. She wouldn't call it a model. I call it my model now. So that's where it came from. But it was really integrating. It was like living it instead of knowing it just in the mind. Mm. I brought it into my body. How did that change your relationship with yourself and with your husband? I started, you know what? It was really cool. I started learning how to connect with that inner part of me, that inner child part. And really, I mean, I always was able to feel my feelings, but I went to another level with that. And when we connect to our feelings and our emotions, it's like all of the parts of the, of the inner child come, come out. So I started becoming more vulnerable. I started uh, becoming more creative. I started trusting more. Like everything that goes along with the child started happening just because I was feeling my feelings more. And um, playing more with my kids than I ever had and really enjoying it. Not because I should, but because I enjoyed it. So this little girl in me started coming out. It was really like a fascinating mm-hmm. like exper- experience, but experiment for me as well. Mm-hmm. I was like, this shit works. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. So does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. And how about with your husband? How did that shift around? It helped me because I've now taken this work into with, with couples. And what this work teaches is how do you effectively communicate with each other? Like, how do you communicate adult to adult? 
Mm-hmm. Like I may be a physical adult in this body, but you know, emotionally I was not there and neither was he. So it taught me how to communicate with him honestly and effectively from a vulnerable place, sharing feelings, not being psychic with him. Like, well, he'll do it anyway. He's just going to remember and learning how to speak up. You know, I grew up in a family where I was not allowed to speak up. So getting married, of course, I marry someone that's more controlling than I am, if that's possible, that he's going to take over and I don't have to, you know, I don't have to speak up a lot and he, he'll just speak for, so anyway, it was a perfect mirror for me, but we learned how to, um, I learned how to speak up and set better boundaries for myself. All of these things happened. So it actually helped our marriage. So what happens if you're developing these skills, but the partner, and I mean the royal you, your partner isn't, what happens yeah. if they're not coming to the table with that? Well, I have seen some people say that they don't want to stay with their partners because of it. Because what happens is when we learn this work, we become more authentic. We become more real because we're taking our masks off. Um, But it's always, I mean, people go home and they go, hey, guess, guess what I'm learning how to do? Like, let's sit down. I want to talk to you about my feelings. I want to talk to you about, you know, what I discovered today about setting boundaries. And I find, though, if the partner's really open and supportive of their wife or their husband then they're encouraging and they typically want to join in, right? Mm -hmm. But if they're married to somebody that likes their wife or their husband to be small or likes them how they are, it does freak them out. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, when we change, even if we're not in a partnership, even with friendships, let's say, as you know, I know when I change, the people that I used to hang around with, they're not a match for me anymore because I'm different. It's not that anyone's bad or better. It's yeah. like, I'm just And there's a, a weird subconscious uncomfortableness that yeah. permeates the relationship. Whereas yeah. as you grow, yeah. if other people, for whatever reason, you know, and they don't have to grow with you, it's it's their own choice. But they, I find that the, the people are uncomfortable, made uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. When I started, I remember I used to do, um, how unhealthy is this? When I'm in my early 20s, like marriage counseling for my parents on the phone. <laughs> when I moved away, they'd call me and go, blah, blah, they'd bitch on, they'd get on either phone, you know, when you had home phones. So you had to be the marriage counselor? Oh, so oh, unhealthy. That's not So unhealthy. Yeah. Um, very inappropriate. <laughs> very inappropriate, emotional incest, the whole nine yards. Um, yeah. But anyway, so I would, when I learned more about who I was, again, this is like in my early 20s and really started building up my own self-esteem. I started setting boundaries and they did not like it. Not that they got mad at me, but they were like, well, who are we supposed to talk to? I'm like, a freaking marriage counselor? <laughs> Stop telling, talk, talking you to me. eldest child or? Yes. Uh, so you got that going for you. I did. Yeah. I definitely did. And I was this the one that's going to come in and save everybody. Sure. So, yeah. So they don't like it. And I've definitely... Not, I don't want to say lost friends or had huge arguments, but it's like my, you know, law of attraction. It's like, I'm just not attracted to the same people. They're not attracted to me. I speak up. Like if I have an issue with you, I want to tell you, I want to work it out with you. I'm going to share. I want to hear how you, what your perspective is. That's how I am. Like, Mm -hmm. so I've been friends with people that can't do that with me Mm -hmm. and it hurt our relationship. So it's not that they're bad or I'm better. It's just like, we're just on a match and it's okay because I don't need someone who's going to be brooding and you won't tell me why. I can't take it. Like, I don't want to be friends with you. Right. You know? Yeah. So it naturally just kind of goes away, I think. Well, and I think that there's a human compulsion to blame other people instead of, again, looking inward. And so that causes tension in relationships. 
a big lover, part of lover me. kind or friend kind, Absolutely. family kind. I mean, all of them. Thanksgiving is a prime example oh, of yeah. the hideousness of how we deal with our emotions. This is pretty bad. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but a big part of this work is about taking responsibility for our own lives. Like yeah. it's like, how do you contribute to? You know, your friend treating you poorly, your husband's drinking, your whatever it is, because it's always about us, isn't it? Like every, our world is created, our environment is created because of us, not as in a bad way. It's just like what's inside of me, because that's what I'm projecting out into the world and that's what's showing up. So if I'm not happy with you or whoever is out in front of me, I need to look inside of myself and figure out what, again... The iceberg lettuce that we were talking about. Yeah. You know, what is in my unconscious that's creating my reality that is not that I don't that is not really turning out so well for me. Right. So I gotta turn inward and find out what that is. Um, do you find in your practice that there are more codependents or more narcissists? Uh co- the codependents that are married to the narcissist. They so they do find each other. Oh yeah. It seems like that it would be a mutually it's a perfect match. Yeah. Because? Well, the codependent is, I'm going to help you. I'll take care of you. I'll lose my identity. I'll, I'll, I'll basically put my identity aside because I don't know what my identity is. And I'll just allow you to be my identity. Mm-hmm. You're the focus of my identity. And the narcissist, of course, loves that. So I have a lot of women that have divorced or just broken up with for whatever reason it's kind of interesting recently the uh, the whole uh they're the they're realizing that they are the the codependents that had attracted in the narcissist Hmm. so they're coming in to do their work so they don't attract another one (laughs) yeah and the codependent is the one that's always like love me more love me more love me more why don't you love me enough is that what is that one um it could be i mean when i think of a codependent it definitely could be i think about I am okay if you're okay. Mm. <clears throat> okay. How, like, how can I serve your needs? Yes. Like, story? I don't understand. Like, codependents have love, con- or the word need confused, love confused with need. So it's mm. like, do you need me? Like, I, I need you to need me. Then I have an identity. I get then it. I feel okay. loved. But it's twisted because it's not real. Okay. that's. I think that answered my question then. Because I think, like, in my experience, I have dated people that... You know, no matter how many times you said I love you or no matter what, they just always needed yeah. more than that. And I'm kind of, I mean, I'm self-confessed. I'm a bit of a loner anyway, but, you know, so. Yeah. Well, I remember when I first, when I got um, engaged to my husband and I'd say to him, why do you, why do you love me? Because he's really independent, does not need anybody really. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was tripping me out. I'm like. Me being a, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a recovering codependent now, okay. but I, I know it very well. But um, way back when in my 20s, I was like, but you don't need me. I remember looking at him going, you don't need me. Why don't you, need, how do, why do you want to marry me? He's like, because I love you. You're right. great. I'm like, but you don't need me. You don't need me for anything. But that's it's a like, huge yeah, right. myth that we're sold is that we think that we need this other person to complete us. And in reality, the, the healthiest relationships are like the ones where we come in fully I mean, nobody's fully realized, but, you know, realize yeah, yeah. who we are, what we need, what our requirements are, and can be self-sufficient mm-hmm. so that we can come to the table healthy. Right. And say, you know, I'm I'm me, you're you, let's do this. Not, I'm missing all these things, how are you going to fill them up? Right. That's so not healthy. 
Right. But as codependent it is, it's like that's all we know because it's our identity is like helping other people and making sure your needs are met. Right. You know? And that's how I grew up. I took care of my mom from a very young age, emotionally speaking. Mm -hmm. I was marriage counseling my parents. Mm -hmm. I had a younger sister that was six years younger. And my mom leaned on me. I was all that she had. So... So you're raising your sister as well. Yes. Yeah. I took care of everybody. Yeah. And I and it's interesting. I didn't lean on anybody growing up, so I don't. I can say I don't lean well now, but I'm learning how to do that. Like I don't. I do everything by myself. Like I can take care of everything, which is actually a very strong. Like I'm glad I can do that. But at the same time, if I need help, I need to be able to like say, okay, I need help. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, it's true that I think that even the the most screwed up things. Um, childhood traumas or whatnot have their moments of lightness and give you gifts. Sure. They All foster the independence or strength, like you said, or being able to stand up to somebody, you know, whatever it is, or, you know, so yeah. it's an impossibility to say that anything is 100% one way or another. I agree. Which probably makes your job that much harder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So let's I see. I, narcissism fascinates me for a lot of reasons, but what, what creates what in the chair the the child the baby one the zero to six mm-hmm. creates the narcissist? Either, just to boil it way down, typically it's like the little kid that either was made to be the hero, so like propped up on a pedestal, like you can do no wrong, you're perfect, you're my little. You might hear um, growing up if you're a boy, let's say like oh my little prince, like oh my little you know Superman, you know daddy, or, you know mommy's little boy, you know all of that kind of thing. Um, or or neglect. So it's both. Mm. It could be this extreme or the other. And typically it's something that happens in the United States and it's mostly men that are narcissists. Really? Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I have, (laughs) I have a lot of clients that their mothers are narcissists too. Yeah. Isn't that so fascinating that it's a United States thing? Is that because we're such a young country? We're kind of ego-y over here. We oh, just are. It is a very... Yeah, we are ego-y over here. Yeah. So anyway, it could be either one, though. It's, it, it could be I don't get any attention and nobody really notices that I'm around. Yeah. Or I get almost too much attention and I'm made into be someone that I'm not. Yeah. So in both cases, we jump into the adolescent chair and put the mask on of... You know, again, I have to cover up who I really am because I don't know. You know, as children, we have to be validated for who we are. We, sh- we that would be the healthiest way to go. Well, how do you validate a child and not? That that's the question too. Like, how do you help do it healthy? How do you say oh, you are a little prince? I love you without turning it into a little. You know, a person's going to grow up and be a serial killer or whatever. Um, one one thing that's really important is the, is that you have to teach them about empathy because a little kid is all about themselves. Right, like, they're all about themselves anyway. Yeah. You have to teach them like that hurt Johnny when you ran over him with your tricycle. Like, yeah. go and apologize. Where I've seen it now, like I see it just out in the mall or wherever. Like parents are like, oh, I even see it with my teenage kids. That drives me. Freaking crazy. These parents don't take response. They think their angel would never do anything. Oh, yeah. That's not my son. He wasn't the one that snuck out. I'm like, bullshit. Yeah. He was in the car with my son. My son told me, I thought you might want to know. And they go, I don't believe you. And I go, okay. Oh, so they're raising narcissists. Like, it's yeah. like, you've got to be able to discipline your kid. It's okay to say like, oh my God, you're so special. You know, I love you so much. But also when there's something off, like they do something like, I don't know, uh, Want to be an example, like bite their sister. Yeah. It's like we don't do that. In time out, you go. Yeah. 
Yeah. I didn't say spanking and whipping and belting, yeah. but it's right. like, no. So you have to learn, you have to redirect that, um, yeah. the biting thing. It's like, no, we don't do that. So there has to be healthy boundaries there mm-hmm. too. And we don't want to, to overindulge them with like, you're my prince, you're perfect, you're perfect, you're perfect. It's too much of that, again, and not enough of the opposite of correction. So so I know you're bound by confidentiality, but I am curious, have you ever had somebody come into your practice where you knew this person is probably, I mean, again, I think of narcissists as tending toward the serial killer side of town. Have you ever come across anyone that you thought, this person needs to be well, followed by a detective. Or yeah, you know I mean? like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like that. Where there's well, there's a range, you know. And I think we were talking about that. Ross Rosenberg um, talks about the range. It can be zero to five on that scale of narcissism. So a five is what you're talking about. Have and you I ever met one? No, I don't. I don't see anyone like that. My people are like you and me. Hmm. Like they're they're four, <laughs> <laughs> three and a half. No, the people I see are very much like. You know, I, a lot of people are like waking up spiritually or yeah. they're just depressed or they're anxious. They don't know why. And they really want to learn more. They want to learn more about themselves, you know, divorce, whatever. Yeah. But no, I don't, I don't see any sort of extreme mental disorders. I just, I don't, it's not for me. Yeah. I saw one by, by one borderline snuck in. Really? Yeah. What was that They're like? so hard because I, you don't see it. Borderline personality disorder. Yeah. It's, I've it's, actually, I've had a few of them. I've had a few what of that them. is. Um... So these, these are clients that will come in and like, it's sort of like Groundhog Day. Every session is the same. Like it's the same drama. The same people are screwing them over and they can't get themselves out of it. They cannot take responsibility. As a child, they were really, um, again, shamed as a child for who they were. Emotional neglect, um, abandonment, you know, either physically or emotionally as a child. So they don't have good um, regulation of their emotions. So they're all over the place. They're crying. They're raging. Some of them are screaming. So a lot of the therapy for them is to sit and learn how to feel your feelings. It always, to me, goes back to feeling your feelings, mm-hmm. your emotions. Um, but yeah, so it was really hard because they, they don't have a lot of people. They, they typically, you know, they're, they're divorced or if they're married, they're cheating all the time. They don't have good boundaries. But they really attach to their therapist, too. And this one, it attached to me. And I really, I don't mean to, mean to sound like it's a thing, but... She was lovely. I actually really, really liked her and I enjoyed her, but she wanted to come in, you know, twice a week for 90 minutes and it got to be too much. So, um, and I, and I said, I said, I just don't think I'm able to help you. Like you really need group. You need other things. So I referred her out and it went downhill fast because referring her out, she's interpreting again in the lower part of the iceberg, not in reality, but this unconscious part, another person rejecting me. Right. And she had so much... so they fall into so much shame. It's absolutely devastating. And there was a lot, there was a little bit of like, you know, I'm going to kill myself if you do mm. that. It was that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. I hear about that. It's like the, so the overwhelming. Teenage boyfriend, girlfriend situation where I read about it on, on, you know, the daily blasts that say, yeah, such and such threatened to kill themselves if, if mm-hmm. their significant other broke up with them. And I think, God, that is so manipulative. Hugely. It's so. But I guess in that moment, they think that they're, is that a, I guess that's a crapper. And I, I don't mean to be non-empathetic to that situation, but man, that's, that's crazy. It is. It's really hard. Yeah. And, and, and they, they don't want to admit that there's anything wrong. You know, they don't want to admit like, Hey, you might have something going on like borderline. 
Yeah. They don't want to hear it. No, I don't. There's no way I'm a borderline. I'm like, well, go look it up on Google and see if it resonates. And it's so obvious to me. But So how does somebody, I assume it's a narcissistic personality, get to the point like a Jonestown Massacre or the Heaven's Gate people where there's this leader who gets you to drink the Kool-Aid or take the pill or mm-hmm. in en masse, mothers giving their children yeah. poison. That's right. How does that happen? I had no idea. That's not my specialty. Okay, I I don't know. I mean, it's like it's such a fascinating topic, and it's. I'm like to me that that is what a room full of codependent people and one giant fucking narcissist. True, basically, it's truly a giant narcissist is leading the pack. But um, it it seems to me the little bit I do know about that is they are luring them in slowly you know they'll say the right things that they want to hear and then the mind gets bought in and they go oh this feels good you know not they're not consciously saying that but something about what they're saying resonates so deeply and then a little bit more and master manipulation what was the girl that was stolen out of her the 15 year old bedroom oh Polly klaus no. No, that one was murdered. and she was gone for years and she was just returned elizabeth uh smart Smart. Yeah. yeah and i'm like you were taken out of your bedroom and then this guy had you and, and they showed pictures of her like sitting on a park bench next to him, like in a main park. Yeah, that's that much. And she didn't get up and run away. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, it's like it's crazy. To it me. is. But that's a the, the mind human is mind is so, so fascinating. And what do we use? Ten percent of it or something? Like such I a think small... they disclaim that actually. I, I I just read something about that that it's not that we it's that we use all of it, but we use it in different places. And oh, really? So, yeah, it's the different pieces of it get used, but it's not unilaterally okay. being used all the time, if I understand right. But you know what? That's going to change again. Someone's going to decide again. something else that always changes, um, especially when it comes to the mind. I mean, that we, for some, this organ that weighs, what, eight pounds, according to the, yes. that movie? <laughs> yes. Whatever, that, that it's a supercomputer. Mm-hmm. We know that. It's... It's so intricate and fascinating to me that in all this time of spending studying the brain, and we still know so very little about it. I know. Teams <clears throat> of scientists trying yeah. to figure it out. It's, and there's just, they don't know. They don't know I why know. when you have an aneurysm and, and you lose your language skill, why it's possible that the brain will figure out how to remap itself and you'll learn to talk again, or why somebody that gets shot in the head who didn't graduate from fourth grade I read an article about this guy. He um, he dropped out of school at a young age. He was in a gang. Didn't really know how to read or write or anything like that. He got shot in the head, oh and in his recovery, started spouting poetry like iambic pentameter, mm-hmm. and is now like a poet, no like way. an actual poet as an adult. As his brain went, oh okay, well that part's gone. I'm gonna come over here. Wow. And there was this whole other person over there. That's wild. See, then I started thinking about the whole bringing down the ancestors. and I know. That's what I was thinking. I was like, well, where'd that come from? Right. Well, or is it a different part of his brain? Or is he opening up a different part of consciousness? I, nobody, nobody knows. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's so But it seems to me, again, that most outside of Bruce Lipton, maybe, that most of these neuropsychology or neurobrain people are not considering the spiritual aspect of it. Absolutely not. No, they're they're pretty sciencey and that's yeah they're either into science or which follows me out i wish that there would be a a meeting of the minds in between pardon the pun of you know science and spirituality because i do think or soul or whatever you want to call it i mean this kinetic energy this is energy that's moving out we are sending off impulses oh yeah energy is energy 
It's Bruce Lipton. Well, Greg Braden. I don't know who that is. Greg Braden. And in fact, I just looked. Um, I wanted to go to it this weekend, but I can't. Um, Jack Cornfield, meditation mm. teacher, Buddhist meditation teacher, and Dan Siegel, the brain guy. He's outstanding in his cornfield. Yes. <laughs> are up in New York City this coming weekend. So that's kind of like the brain meeting. That would be amazing oh, for two days. That's going on this weekend? Yeah. Right. Bryant Park. I wish I could go to that. I love that. Next year. Mm-hmm. Man, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. So where do you uh so the people come to you they they go through how long does it generally take for people to have that aha moment or does it just depend which aha moment of going oh my gosh this inner child that's the person that i gotta get in touch with all these little me's oh boy and it's not just one little me i mean i know that in the work i've done throughout the years in therapy there's a lot of little me's roaming around in there like a cast of thousands in that adolescent chair i mean did you see the movie inside out with all the little voices in their head Uh, oh my god it's you saw the commercial okay yeah. That's what I it's need like. to see that. I saw it, seen it. That's exactly what it's like. It's yeah. like an event happens outside of us, and then all these little voices in our head go, Should we do this? Should we do that? I'm going to do this. I don't know if we should do that. It's like, right. duh, 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 duh. That's what's happening in the brain. Yeah. I, in the adolescent chair. I think it's important to anthropomorphize any emotion you have to pull it out of yourself, whether or not you call it your child or whatever, and say, Okay, I'm feeling angry right now. Yeah. Why am I feeling angry? Let's sit down with anger and have a chat. Anger, why are you mad right now? What does this have to do with? Or jealousy or whatever. Yeah. And generally you hear an answer. Absolutely. That's what blows people. Oh, wait. I had an experience the other day. It was so cool. So this girl, this new woman came in. She's like, I listen to every podcast. I want to learn these chairs from you. I was like, okay, let's go. So she said, well, I know that my inner child was feeling um, really sad. I said, how do you know that? She goes, because I know her and I know she was feeling sad. And I said, really? I said, well... I said, what, what, I can't remember the experience that she had had. And I said, well, let's go ahead and, and have her, you know, imagine her standing in front of you. She goes, okay, she's right there. I said, how old? Six years old. Okay. I said, um, ask her. I said, I don't want you to ask yourself. I want you to look at her in front of you and ask her what she feels. And she's like, okay. So she's like, oh, hold on. She feels unlovable. What? <laughs> I said, yeah. Isn't that funny? Because the adolescent can take on the mask of the inner child. So it's like our adolescent's like, oh, yeah, I know what's going on here. I can be the little child. I'm sad. You know, it's like, no, no, no. So it's very much connected. This is why I always go back to how do you feel in the body? Like, what's going on in the body? Oh, I don't feel anything in my body. I'm like, well, then you're not in your child. Because the child's going to give you like a knot in your stomach or a lump in your throat or your shoulder's going to. So it was great. And she said, um, I said, so ask her what she needs. If she feels unlovable and she was like whoa this happens all the time she yeah. goes she says she wants a hug and she was crying and, and she goes but i'm not a hugger yeah. <laughs> and i said she is yeah and then we start seeing that's what's so beautiful is we start seeing that what our child wants is like so foreign because they've been tucked away for so long yeah and it's this whole part of us like i was saying like I started like saying to my kids, let me go jump on the trampoline with you guys. Let me go rollerblading. That was what I did. And they were like, yeah. what? Yeah. Because the last time I had rollerblade, I just about killed myself. And yeah. they're like, you don't rollerblade. And I go, I'm rollerblading now. Yeah. So this whole inner fun part of us and again, feeling emotions and vulnerabil- vulnerability comes out. So it was really cool because she had materialized her little girl and had really when she connected to her, it was vastly different than what she thought from her mind yeah. was going to happen. It makes me think a bit of a multiple personality disorder, which I don't know a whole lot about, um, but 
you know, in that the brain is being protected by all these different characters, right? Yes. That are trying yes. to keep you away from whatever that trauma was. Yeah. That was so intense. It shattered your mind. And in a way, it, this this modality that you do, it's it's like trying to get in touch with all those different personalities that are running around. It is. Around. I know. And I it's, say, it's funny. It's I like, say that to people. I'm like, you don't have multiple personalities. Right. <laughs> I imagine that that would... Yeah, because they go, well, that. how can she be different than me? I go, because we're filled with parts. Yeah. Like, we are... Filled with all these voices, and yeah. and when we slow down and we start paying attention, like sometimes I'm like, boy, that sounded like a man's voice, like inside of me. What was that? And it's like, who knows? Who cares? But it's there. Yeah, I might have picked it up when I was six months old or ten years old. I yeah. have no idea, but it's in there, so I got to pay attention to it. Yeah. It's a more masculine part of me, maybe that's talking. Sure. There was one day I was walking, and um, I go for my morning meditation, my walking meditation at six a.m. every day. It's dead silent, and I'm walking down the street, and um, my ruminating thoughts were driving me crazy. I'm like, I can't even enjoy my moment. So I want to know who's talking so much and so fast right now. And I said, I want to see the part of me that's doing this. And out in front of me, I said, I want to see you. And I just imagined whoever is in front of me. And materialized in front of me was the Mucinex man. <laughs> the little green guy? Yeah, the green booger guy. Yeah, the booger. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And I was like, well, what do you what do you want me to know? Because they're talking so much in the brain because they're trying to get our attention. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to know? And I can't remember what he said. And he was like, well, blah, 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 blah. I go, okay. So I'm in my adult again, listening to this thing. And I go, okay, okay, sounds good. I got it. Thank you so much for trying to protect me. I get it. Thank yeah. you. And he goes, thank you. Boom, gone. And all of a sudden, the thoughts were gone in my brain. Interesting. So I know it sounds a little... It sounds nuts. You sound like a crazy person. I know. Yeah. But I love I'm it. I'm a little crazy. But I mean, I, I did But it works. Yeah. That's I, the thing. It's freaking... It works. I, and I've spent 30 years studying this I stuff. absolutely believe it works. Yeah. I wholeheartedly, completely, 100% agree that it works. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. I had a session with Annie Waugh, who was on the... You know Annie, mm-hmm. obviously. She was on my podcast a few episodes back. And I went to see her because I was so intrigued by her work. And we had this moment where I was sitting there and it was funny because I was feeling these emotions, but I couldn't connect them to anything. And when you're in a room with someone else who's asking you questions, yeah. you're more focused on what they're asking you than going inside. And, uh, and I was just rolling with it because mm-hmm. that's why I was there to roll mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. And she said, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to say, I was doing this thing where I was looking to the left and um, tapping my knees, mm-hmm. opposite knees. Yeah. And uh, she said, I want you to say out loud, uh, I am safe. Oh, and so I started tapping my knees and like the left. I could not say it. I kept saying, wow. I am, and the word not kept coming out. I was like, what? I was like, I'm not doing that on purpose. And I could not I love it. say it. And she's like, okay, that's okay. And she said, now I want you to figure out who's telling you. Because it, it was like this deep voice from behind my head that kept going, not, you know? Like, yeah, if I was, yeah. If it hadn't been in the moment, like I probably wouldn't be laughing at how comical it seemed. Like cartoony voice going, not. And uh, anyway, so pulled that out, sat it down, and looked at it, and that giant creature that was telling me I wasn't safe began to morph into little me, feeling like I mean, it was like a little version of myself, and oh, I just I yeah. started bawling. My oh, head I love it. Yeah, and I, and I and she's like, all right, now tell little you that that she is safe, that she's okay, and that you're yeah, you're there for her. Yes. You got her, and. I mean, I did. I sort of tucked her under my wing, and I told her she's fine. Don't worry. She's safe. All of a sudden, we had this whole talk. And uh, and then I could say it. 
And then I was able to say, I, I am safe. And it was just so surreal because I could literally not say it. And then I could. And all I could hear was that not. It was so bizarre. But, I mean, the mind is a fascinating I don't, thing. You know, I don't think it's bizarre. That's well, exactly I, what we do. Yes. Yeah, but in it, it's it's in it powerful. It's very powerful. Yeah. I mean, that was an incredible so, session. I think of, so what I hear you say, which is the work that I'm doing, is all about integration mm-hmm. and realization. Mm-hmm. Because if you really want to know the secret, which I think is, is right, I think I'm right. <laughs> I think I'm right in this is that none of us are broken none of us are unhealed that's all an illusion Mm. what's real is that we're not realized yet this Mm. is a whole journey of not healing but of self-realization sure so what you just did is pulled a part of you out and when we notice it we're casting light on it Mm -hmm. so it's like a hidden part in the shadows Mm -hmm. pull it out you cast light on it, and then it's realized. Well, and it's interesting that it goes from being this big, tall, scary-looking, monstery thing and shrinks down into the little girl. Yeah. And I've done, I mean, I've done therapy for years and years and years. And uh, and I remember in one session I had with uh, a, a therapist in town, Dr. Sherrod, 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 Sherrod. I never did figure out how to say her name. Anyway, <laughs> it's horrible, but she was great. But uh, during one of the sessions... Uh, sort of a similar thing not with that specific but something else where one of my little me's popped up and it was so funny because what I saw in my mind's eye was a little version of me in a monster suit wow and so and and it's funny because I still pictured that and I can still see like she didn't have to change out of her monster suit she's still in it and Mm -hmm. she's like that makes her feel safe I'm not gonna take that away from her nope you know and it's it is you meet all these these people on the way and I think that session I had with Annie a couple weeks ago is a good example that we're always working on it. It yeah. never, it's not like one day we wake up and go, my God, I'm perfect. You know, it doesn't work like that. Nope. And little things can trigger other little things. And, you know, we're all just doing our battles, man. We're trying to get through it. I agree. Yeah, that's the life process. And I, whenever anybody says to me, why are we here? I always say, figure out how to love ourselves. Because the minute we figure out how to love ourselves, we get to love the whole world. Right. I mean, that, that right. just will fall into line. Right. So it's heavy. It's heavy, heavy stuff for sure. Yeah. So, all right. So talk a little bit more because I'll put this episode out um, in time for people to use your your code, the Spring MC 2017, to get $20 off mm-hmm. a weekend retreat with you. At Scarrett Bennett Center, right here in Nashville. Okay. Which and, is in Vanderbilt. It's okay. in the Vanderbilt campus there. All right. So take us through I, I, what, if you can. Oh, I, I, what so I'd... we'll go over the chairs. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we're going to go over the chairs. It's a lot of, um, like I said before, like experiential. So we'll be doing like partnering up and, and again, finding out our parts. It's really a weekend of self-realization. It's like getting mm-hmm. many, many months of therapy in two days. Mm-hmm. Um, so I part, I'm going to have people partner up, work on different aspects of themselves. It's always to help them again, self-realize and shine that light on the parts of us that we're missing. So we will we'll do, there's such a thing as shadow work. You probably know that. Oh, yes. Okay. Big fan. So we're going to do inner child work. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get to meet the inner child because so many people come in and they go, I don't know how to do this. I'm like, well, we're going to do it in class. Um, so we're going to do inner child meditations. We're going to bring out the inner child. I'm going to introduce everyone to their inner child, guide them through that, partner them up so they know what the inner child's all about. Yeah. Um, then we move into the adolescent chair and we're going to meet a lot of those, um, personalities that are in our adolescent chair and then learn how to work with them. 
and listen to them. And what do we do when we have ruminating thoughts and the voices and all of that kind of thing? Um, then and we're gonna in, I'm gonna introduce the adult chair, and we're gonna talk about living the moment again. Meditations, breath, all kinds of good stuff. Lots of experiential stuff. Yeah. So if I'm a if I'm a shy person, let's say mm-hmm. if I'm nervous about quote unquote airing my laundry or whatnot, it, will it still be okay to come to something where they're because I'm sure a lot of people oh, yeah. are already nervous about sleep. I'm already nervous about um, self-discovery and then to come into a group situation. But I would think that actually that would make it a little easier because you have all these other people who are in your same boat and they're all wanting right. to help and be a part of it, you know? Well, look, so many people when I've done groups in the past are so scared because they're like, I don't want to say it. I'm like, please say it. Because if I know everyone that's in the group, let's say like when I've done small small groups in my office of 10 people or so, yeah. I'll say, just go ahead and say it. Just, if you, you can pass. Like I always say, you don't ever have to speak up in any of my groups. You can yeah. always pass if it's, if it's what feels most right. But um, every time I've ever said, just go ahead and say it. Like the whole room like goes, oh my God, you know, me, you'd have that. Me too, me too, me too, me too. So what is so powerful about group is we find that we're not alone. I think so many of us don't go to counseling or coaching or get help because we think we're all alone. That's the, that's the adolescent chair again. It's like that ego says you're all alone. It's just you. You're the one that's damaged. No one else on the whole planet is. And when you, when you realize everyone gets lonely Everyone feels like sometimes they're a piece of shit. Yeah. Everyone feels damn. You know, we all have that. Now, I might feel more damaged than you or vice versa, but we all have it. Yeah. So that's the power of the group. So we'll do, again, a lot of that stuff. It's just, it's going to be a great weekend. It's going to be fun. Like a great weekend. It's jam-packed full of fun, really good stuff, though. Tell people to shift and to self-realize. And course. they can get to the link through your website. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. And I'll have links to that on my website. So that's good. So the, the book just came out, The Adult Chair, A Guide to Loving Yourself. Yeah. And that's a lot about what we've been talking about. Is there a, yeah. a central... No, I mean, it's a free ebook. It's short. You can probably read it in like an hour and a half. It's really like an introduction to this work. And it really boils it down to make it very simple. It's very, very simple. And I, again, have all the traits of each chair and how you can, you know, it's, I, I like to put it in box, everything in boxes. I'm more black and white. So yeah. here's the child, here's the adolescent, here's the adult. So yeah. it makes it really can easy. Can a person do this work on their own or do you recommend coming to somebody that knows sort of what's going on? You can definitely do a lot of the work on your own. That's why, um, that's what I want to do. Like my goal, like I, when I hear someone's been in therapy with the same person for 10 years, unless they had a horrific childhood, they really need that much help. I don't, I just don't comprehend that because I had a, I, there was some roughness that happened in my childhood too. It was pretty dysfunctional in many ways. It was loving, but very dis, dis, dysfunctional too. But, um, I like to equip people so they actually are moving along their path and give them tools. So, because when you're not with me, I would hope that you can sit and do like EFT or, you know, do this child work or do something on your own to get yourself out of it. So I don't want people to need me. So that's EFT being emotional freedom technique, the tapping, tapping. That's one of the tools that I teach, okay. but I try to equip people with enough so that they can kind of continue to do this on their own. But I think it's nice. That's why I have my own podcasts in the book and videos and things like that to help people learn it if they're not living in this city. Mm-hmm. So And you have the YouTube channel. I have a YouTube channel, yeah. Which is great. Is it just your name? Yeah. It's Michelle just Michelle Chauvin. Chauvin. Michelle Chauvin. Yeah. Okay. And then um, hopefully my next, <laughs> after I do this class, I'm going to take a lot of this material and put it online for like an online class. Cool. I've got people like in 
all over the country or all over the world actually in different countries that are interested so yeah it's a way to reach more people so how do your boys your sons feel about mom They're, i mean does it i you know it's sort of like having going to the school where your where your parent is the principal yeah you know here's mom as a therapist and pretty hard to get away with anything when you're you know what i mean yeah but so how does that how does that? Uh, well, I shape? wish I had known this when they were babies. Yeah, I didn't know it. Yeah. So they're now teenagers. I have one in college, so and one in high school. Yeah. So how do they? How do I teach uh, them this? Yeah. Year? Are they open and and to it and studying it themselves, or do well, they? They're teenagers. Well, sure. Teenage boys. Yes. The girls will come up. Actually, it's funny. A lot of their friends come over and go. I found you on YouTube. I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, yeah. you did. <laughs> and they laugh. They're like, how do you have a YouTube channel? Well, so, no, that's interesting. If I'm a teenager and I come across this, will that help a ton? I would imagine because right there, you're, you're you only have to go back one stage. <laughs> to, exactly. You know exactly. And I tell them like about my Facebook fan page, and and they'll laugh at me. They're like, oh, yeah, you and your fan page. I'm like, well, how many you know likes do you think I have so far? They're like, what do you have like a hundred? <laughs> And I tell them, they're like, no way. So they think it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. But a lot of their friends, like, they're really interested in learning how to meditate and learning about the work. And a lot of my younger son's friends that are in 10th grade, shockingly, they're like, I listened to some of your podcasts. I'm like, you did? That makes me happy to think that the younger generation has has enough self-awareness to want to have that. The best thing we can do for our kids is to be a model. Again, it always goes back to what are we modeling for our kids? So I have a lot of parents that come in and go, I've totally screwed up my kids. I don't know what to do because I didn't know the adult chair chair until right now. And I'm like, well, just model for them right now. So they have an experience of what healthy looks like, like really healthy. So the more that we, and I say this all the time, it's all about me. And I mean that in the most loving way. And I would say that about you. We have to make it about ourselves. So if I screw up, I need to take responsibility and I have to focus on me so I know when am I not taking responsibility? When am I in my codependency? When am I not setting a boundary when I need to? And if I'm focusing on you, then I'm not knowing what I'm doing. So I mean that in a very healthy way. Yeah. I've got to pay attention to me first, yeah. then you. So when we teach our kids how to do that, and it's not mean, it doesn't mean that I'm not a, you know, a, a loving person because I am, but I, I want to teach my kids how to do that. Yeah. Like, stay connected to, to your own intuition. Yeah. That guidance system. Well, it would be interesting if a child could turn around to the parent and say, hey, mom, when you just berated me in front of your friends like that, right. it made me feel this way, that way. You know, to empower a child to have that kind of voice. Right. Because I've been around parents with their kids, and here I am staying there, and nobody knows me from Adam, and they're yelling at their kid, and the kid is just looks full of shame and I so think, shame it's so much shame wow that's yeah. gonna that's gonna rear its head somewhere along that it child's will. life you know so yeah and if that kid could turn and say hey mom or hey dad could you not shame me in front of this person it's inappropriate you know but little yeah. kids don't have those tools it'd be so great if they did well we have to educate them though yeah. like i've raised is i mean i learned this I don't know, probably eight, ten years ago, something like that is when I really started. Well, when I met Susan, it was exactly ten, ten years ago I started learning it. Um, that's when I started using the language at home. Like, I don't turn this language off when I get home. It's, like, always on for me. But my kids will say, like, if I have a, a human moment where I'm yelling at my kids, and I'll know it. That's the thing. I'll take responsibility for it, and I'll go up and I'll say, you know what, Blake? I'm really sorry. I know I just totally screwed up, and and you don't ever deserve to be yelled at. And I'm I just wanted to tell you, I'm so sorry. It was not okay. And a lot of times, my kids will be like, "No, it was fine." I'm like, "No, no, no, no. 
it's never fine for someone to unload on you like that. I said, the appropriate thing to say is, um, thank you. Just say thank you to me, but don't say it's okay because it's really not okay. But um, taking responsibility and demonstrating that for my kid, like that's mm-hmm. important. Like I messed up, I'm gonna be responsible and apologize. So I noticed it's so cool, both of my kids, because my husband and I will do that. We'll go up and apologize if we've had a human moment. Not that we have tons of them, but we do have human moments. Um, now I notice they come and do that with us. Mm. Like, you know, I really shouldn't have talked to you like that. I'm really sorry. I, I noticed that I was short with you. I just got home from school and you were asking me too many questions because I'm a female and they're boys. They don't want to talk. So then they'll come back and Teenagers say... Teenagers don't want to talk. Yeah. yeah. Especially boys. Yeah. And, and I'm female. So I'm like, how was your day? What happened? Who'd you see? What'd you, who'd you talk? What'd you talk about? You know, and they're like, mom, please. Yeah. So if they're too hard on me, they'll say, you know what, I, I should, I'm really sorry. I wish I hadn't talked to you like that. And, yeah. I'm, and I, I'm taking responsibility. I'm like, thank you. I, I don't envy a parent. I don't have children. I, you know, I don't envy a parent who has to bring up a functioning individual into the society, which you know, has plenty of broken parts. It's hard. It's it's the hardest it's the, job. It's this. It's the cell phone. It's so hard. These kids have access to porn at, you know, the moment you hand them an iPad I when know. they're three years old. Yeah, I know. I remember my, my son was young, like seven, and I said, he needed new soccer cleats. And I said, I think they're on sale at Dick's Sporting Goods. And he goes, okay. And he went over and oh, said, no. Google Dick's Sporting Goods. Well, he doesn't know how to spell Dick's Sporting Goods, so he typed in Dick's. <laughs> I was like, whoa, you know, but turn that off. It was bad. Yeah. But I mean, he did it innocently, but sure. they have access to that stuff. Yeah. So. And without the tools to understand it. That's the kind of thing I, I, you know, when I was little, I wanted to watch All in the Family. And my father and mother said, you can't watch All in the Family. Why not? Because you won't understand the subtlety of it. Uh, that is a commentary yeah. on, you know, now as an adult, I understand, you know, a commentary on racism, on yep. sexism, on, you know, all these things that Norman Lear was saying. Mm-hmm. A, a little kid's not going to get that right. the subtlety of it, right? And will likely absorb the uh, the opposite of what the point was, right? Because they don't understand the the subtlety. Um, and I think when a small child or a teen child even s- s- watches pornography and doesn't have the skills, an adult has to understand that that is a fantasy and, and not real. They then, don't. Then, then their expectations on sex get completely skewed. And they do. They are. There's like a blank template in the brain. In the brain, again, we're going back to the brain. Yeah. Uh, There's there's like a template that, again, it's like, what are you putting on that template? What are the first few experiences? And so many of our kids, I don't know about girls, but I know about boys. They're putting, probably girls too. Absolutely, girls they're, too. They're putting, yeah, because they want to learn. How do I give a blowjob? So they're going to text that. Blowjob is the new second base. Oh. Yes. I dated a guy whose daughter, uh, when she, so she was young when we were dating and then we broke up and she and I have stayed close. And when she hit her, her teenage years, um, yeah, uh, you know, like 15, 16. And I'd say, so what's going on? You know, tell me about what, it, yeah. what it's like to be you. And uh, she would tell me some stories. I'm like, my God. Oh, yeah. What the kids kids these days. And maybe every adult <laughs> says that, but it's just... You never thought me, you'd say that, but yeah. Well, and to me, I think we're just... We're so broken anymore. There's just this lack of understanding of ourselves and every everyone trying to wear a different face. You know, we, we're told we're not good enough and we'll never be good enough if we mm-hmm. don't do this, this, and this, if we don't look this way. Or yeah. Like we were saying earlier. 
And so in a desperation of even just being noticed, the things that people will do at that yeah. age. Yes. Because they think they have to. It's so awful. And then, you know, I see parents completely... I've, I've seen like father-daughter dates or mother-son dates or whatever. You know, you walk around, you notice this stuff. If you're oh, not yeah. on your phone, you notice it. And you should see... Parents with their children, when the parents are on their phones, yes. completely ignoring their child. Yeah. Their child's just sitting there, bored out of their mind. Or yeah. maybe their child's on the phone. And I just think... First of all, what an what an opportunity missed for some lovely yep. time. But also, what are, you, what are we learning here? Oh, it's just so sad. They just did, that was just on um, 60 Minutes a few weeks ago. They were talking about the cell phones, how when we get a like on a post. It lights up our dopamine. The dopamine. Did you see that? It was no, crazy. but I, I read about it. But they were talking about that with kids yeah. and the streaks. You know, they do the streaks on um, Snapchat. Oh, I don't know much about Snapchat. The streak, I don't, I don't have one either, but I, I know about it now because when kids, like when they were all going on spring break and they wouldn't have their phones, they would, they give their passwords to another friend so they can keep their streak up. And the streak is when I'm messaging you. If I've messaged you every day, it'll calculate like, um, you know, Susan and Michelle have messaged each other for 59 days. So that's called, it's been a 59 day streak. So a lot of these kids are like on 390 and something like that. So, so that's a thing. It's a thing. So then when they go on vacation, they have to have someone else take over their streaks. So. So bizarre to me. They, yeah. So, yeah, because there's, they like getting, we're slowly, they don't want to break the streak. Because we're slowly becoming computers, basically. We are. We're going to have a chip in our brain someday. The, the lack of empathy. I don't think it's that far off, to be mm -hmm. honest. Um, the lack of empathy that that creates is, is. Astonishing, staggering. But yeah, I think as and parents, terrifying, honestly. it is. But I think as parents, we have to say, like when I'm in the car with my kids, which I'm not as much anymore because they drive. But when I am, and I always said that when they were younger, no cell phone. If I'm when we're in the car, put them down. But you've got to like put those rules in place. Mm -hmm. And there's, I don't sit at red lights and do this with my kids in the car. You know, I'm not sitting looking at my phone. Um, but. If I'm in the car with anybody, I don't have my cell phone out, and I don't want them either to. Or and at I, meals or any of that. No, yeah. I could not believe my sons have had friends over, and they will sit at the dinner table. We're all sitting together, like all six of us, and their friends are sitting here on their phones. And I'm like, not in my house. Put that phone down, and then my sons will tell me like later on, oh, yeah, at their table they're allowed to. I'm like, not here. Mm -mm. Like, what's happening? When I was little, we used to... I mean, I didn't have the best childhood. I'll be the first to admit it, but I'll tell you what. When we were little, the, everyone sat at the dinner table and maybe scheduled to, to the point now where that's an impossibility. Kids are scheduled beyond an Over schedule. So much so. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we had really engaging conversation yeah. at dinner. The TV was off. Yeah. We didn't have phones, so. No TV, know. for sure. Yeah, and I just, I don't know. You know, I could lament about the state of the world till the cows come home. And I just hope it, it, I'm happy that people like you exist because I think the more people like you out there helping folks who aren't, who don't really know what it is, they can't quite put their finger on it. And you can say, well, here, sit down. We're going to, we're going to use this modality and, and you're helping. Thank yeah. you for that. Mm. It's good. It's good. It, it gives me hope, which yeah. is. Thank you. You know, in a, in, in a world where it seems hopeless a lot, it's nice to know that not only are you doing what you're doing, but people are seeking you out to because they, they want to get better or they want to understand themselves more. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, 
So, okay, michellechalfant.com is the website. It's C-H-A-L-F-A-N-T. Yeah, and I'll put it on my heyhumanpodcast.com as well, so it's an easy link. Um, also, Facebook, mm-hmm. and that is... I've got um, a fan page, which is Michelle Shelfont. Is it called Michelle Shelfont Fan Page? That's what I wrote. Yeah. yeah. And then I have a closed group, which is just for people that want to learn the adult chair, and it's so much fun. And you can get to that through your, your website, Yeah, correct? if you go to my website, you'll find it. That's, I think if you Google or if you're on Facebook, you just type in the adult chair. It's a closed group. Oh. You have to be like, I think you have to be like accepted in, okay. approved in or something. Sure. All right. And then the uh, adult chair podcast is exceptional. I highly recommend it. And honestly, I've, as I mentioned on many of these podcasts, I've had a lot of therapy. And you can have therapy till the cows come home. You're always going to learn something or remember something. And I listened to probably, I was working on my downstairs, putting stuff away. And I listened to like nonstop about 11 or 12 episodes. Oh my gosh. Just in a row. And I was like, oh yes. You binged. I did. I binged and I was like, oh yes, that's such a good point. And yeah, and it sort of, it just re- reminds you, it puts you back in that moment where even though you've got it, it's a part of who you are. It's it's a good, yeah, it's a good reminder. So I'm just saying that, that even those of you who maybe have done therapy and you feel you know, like you, you know what you got going on. It's still super helpful, I, I think. And it's it's just a nice reminder. We're all struggling, you know, this this is a tough planet and it supplements therapy. It is. My my therapy <laughs> sessions are not like therapy. People come in and they'll go like I've had couples come in and, and even singles come in and they go, This wasn't like therapy. <laughs> like it yeah. is sort of Which is how it should it should be. It shouldn't feel super traumatizing and horrifying, which is how it kinda was no. I think in the seventies perhaps. I didn't do therapy in the seventies, you know, yeah. I wasn't really around to do that. But um But it's more like coaching. Really I'm so much of a teacher. I do so much teaching in my sessions. It's not like we're dredging up the past and, yeah. unless it needs to be talked about. But yeah. excuse me, typically it's like what do you need to like where do you want to go? Let's get you there. Yeah. And if we have to talk about the past a little bit, we will, but we go, you know. Yeah. And so yeah, what what I'm trying to say is the podcast is really great because it's these what they're like 40 minutes, 30, 40 minutes. They're not, not even. They're like 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, they're not yeah. very long. They're and short. They're very succinct about a particular topic and you cover a lot of things on there and yeah. and reference it back to the adult chair. So for those of you listening, I do recommend that. Um, Michelle, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was really great. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful, wherever you are, have a wonderful of it. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)